To begin, I'd like to spring on you a couple of terms. You probably know them, but I'd like to to lay the groundwork for my remarks. The word is etiology, etiology, which means the giving of a cause or reason for anything. This happened because of that. Or the given reason. And the other one is the word myth. Now myth is a pejorative term for many, but it's a technical term in the English language. A myth is a traditional story that expresses significant truths about human life. The story of the Tower of Babel is an ideological myth used by the ancients to explain why we have such a multiplicity of languages and races. The point being that God is not going to let humankind get too big for its britches. Nowadays we, we know that human beings living uh, in, in isolation for thousands of years develop different colors of skin, different language Patterson, patterns, different concepts about God and the world in which we live. We see snow, we see sleet, we may see hail. But the Eskimos, for example, have 25 different names for snow distinguishing. So depending upon where you live is how you, uh, you uh, interpret the world around you, give meaning to life. So one, by, one may say that God's plan worked very, very well. Humankind is scattered, indeed abroad over the face of the earth, has divided itself in a whole host of different ways. And we may also say that it is alienated to the nth degree. Such was the case at Pentecost. And so it is today. People, we can see it uh, in all of these uh, businesses and hospitals and the like, that people are, are prized for being bilingual. They're in demand. Go to any public school or any hospital, any emergency room, and you see just how important these people are. And then one thing has to be said about war. War has a way of spreading language around. The, the language of the conqueror becomes the nations uh, of the, who are conquered. It comes their language, at least in part. The Bible also reflects this. The Old Testament text is written in Hebrew. But the New Testament text is set down in Koine Greek. And it would have been better if it was the King James English. But it wasn't. So I had to slave away late into the night when I was in seminary translating the Hebrew text, translating the, the Greek text. And boy, some of the translations I came up with would blanch your heart especially those of the Song of Solomon. <laughs> well, this is the way it was in Jesus' day. In the synagogue, the language was Hebrew or Aramaic, which is a hybrid of, of several different Semitic languages. In the marketplace, when you went out to buy a head of lettuce or a, a lamb shank or something like that, you spoke the Koine Greek. So here we are in first century Palestine, 
And a new thing happens. A man, Jesus, runs afoul of the Jews and the Romans, is put to death, and he shows up again, and he tells his followers to continue to hang around Jerusalem and wait for further instructions because they are his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but all over the whole world. And after they get the word, after they get the word, they will be empowered to do that witnessing, to get the job done. We know that story. It was just read to us. They were all together in one place. Then the sound of a tornado, divided tongues like fire, spread around the room. And each one heard what was being said in his own language and was speaking and being understood by people they didn't even have an inkling that knew what was being said. They were all reciting the wonderful deeds of God, the deeds of power that God has. I really love to use this passage and listen to the lay reader stumble through the words, but she did a magnificent job and you're to be commended for your reading this morning. Talking about God's power, did you notice that there were Cretans there from the Isle of Crete out in the Mediterranean Sea and the Arabs out there further to the east? But keep in mind now, we don't have Islam for another thousand years. So these are just people that came, you know, came into the celebrate uh, what the big doings over in Jerusalem. And uh, they didn't have any kind of religious uh, problems there. This was the feast of the, of the new crop of everything, including the wine. And so it was a time when the, these things were out there. They could be picked up for the asking, and everybody just had a marvelous, marvelous time. Now to this meeting, God shows up and decides to spread the word to take the steps that are necessary for the kind of ministry and the kind of church that we have today. Now, in this meeting in Seattle, made up of Euros of all different kinds, made up of Africans of all different kinds, made up of Asians of all different kinds, the main speaker was a Chinese fellow by the name of Ken Fong of the Evergreen Baptist Church in Los Angeles. I've been to that church a number of times. I knew his, his predecessor. His thesis was that it takes a lot of us coming together in worship and living together to appreciate the depth and the breadth of God's love. Let me go back over that. It takes all of us coming together to worship, to understand and live together, strive together to appreciate the depth of God's love. We short circuit ourselves when we seek to, to confine ourselves to sameness. We need to be uncomfortable in our churches from time to time. Reverend Fong said at the, at the beginning of the year, he had achieved about everything he wanted to achieve. He's got his earned doctorate, and he's wrote a few books, and he's a sought-after speaker, and all of this kind of thing. So he decided that he was far too comfortable, and he felt that he needed to be involved in something that was a challenge to him, that had some risk, and could cost him something. 
And guess what he did? He had he engaged in dialogue and friendship with some gay folks. And at that point, I thought to myself, man, my church is uncomfortable enough. We have all kinds of dialogue going on, and we have all kinds of things going on. We don't have to worry about being too comfortable. And then, oh yeah, he's a cute little guy too. Uh, you know, he, he was talking about a little old man that uh, they, they've been kind of loosening up their worship a little bit. And this little old man came after church. Did you see when we sang that I held up my hand? Well, let's come back to the Pentecost scriptures. When you've got that many different cats in one sack, there's going to be trouble. But God's Spirit was there, providing insight and providing the love necessary. Now, the whole thing could have been avoided if, if they had just invited, you know, the twelve disciples. But it wasn't so, because in God's wisdom, he was telling all these folks that he was not going to be fenced in by Jews or anyone else. We read that Peter got the message for sure at the house of Cornelius when he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, some years ago, this church decided to be inclusive. I was here, tried to guide you from the perspective of Baptist historical beliefs, and you made the decision to be inclusive. Were people uncomfortable? Yes. Are they still uncomfortable? Some of them are. But what, I pray, is the alternative? Exclusiveness for the sake of comfortable unanimity, which means barriers, fencing others out. Well, what you do is you put up a fence around yourself to exclude others and you confine yourself. What Jesus is saying at Pentecost and in the Evergreen Association and at First Baptist Church is, don't fence me in. Remember Gene Autry? Give me land, lots of land neath the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride over the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me ride to the ridge where the west commences. Gaze at the moon till I lose my senses. Lock me up forever. But I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in. God was not about to be fenced in. And so he showed up at Pentecost at a time when there were a whole lot of people around to express the depth of his great love. When Evergreen Association meets, there are Euros, Africans, and Asians. And the bending and straining goes on, and the process of uh, decision-making and so forth is designed so that nobody gets dominated. But the straining goes on. When we were driving home from our last meeting, Peggy was uh, driving and she says, you know, why do these black folks have to sing so loud? <laughs> Two years ago or three years ago, the Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, they had the meeting and then they invited in these taiko drums. 
Talk about loud. Man. Well, we white folks, we answer with, I come to the garden alone. <laughs> and the black folks say, that's cool, that's cool. But let's not miss the point. In all of the otherness, whoops, in all of the otherness that we see around us, we see the depth and the breadth of the love of God, if we choose to. Now, a little bit of history. About 60 years ago, I sang in church. And I sang a song that uh, I remember to this day. Now keep in mind I'm about 14 or 15 years old, 60 years ago, and probably didn't know by any means what I was singing about. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, it reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bound down with care, God sent his son to win. This erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angel song. And then I yield to temptation. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above Would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole Though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, How measureless and strong, It shall forevermore endure The saints and angels' song. Let us pray. God, thank you for your love. That is so broad and so deep, so boundless, We can't even conceive of it. We think of all the hatred in the world. We think of all the damage that's being done because people fight against your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you bent down to earth at Christmas. And then you came again. You came again through your Holy Spirit at Pentecost all because you love the whole world, the whole world. And included in that is us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.